All right, I guess we're going to roll up and see how this goes. All right. <clears throat> how do we start this again? I suppose we need our intro. Hi, everyone. I'm Tom, and this is Jake, and we are Pun Pals. Pun Pals. Yep, we've come up with a name. We're calling it Pun Pals. Pun Pals because our names are slightly punny. Well, I'm, I'm Tom Ado, and... Uh, he thinks that's funny. I'm actually Thomas Ado, so... It's yeah. Well, I'm Jake, but my Christian name is Jacob. Jacob Slatter. <laughs> Did your parents know that when they uh, they picked out your name? I, no, they've told me a few times. I suppose no. you, you were born before that movie, weren't you? It was actually my mother's dad's name, like my grandfather's name on my mum's side, Jake, Jacob. Uh, so like, I want to have him to be Jacob. Uh, like, all right. Yeah, well, at least you're not like Jack Off or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Jack Off. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you've <clears throat> been away, haven't you? You've been uh, gallivanting Tasmania. I have. Uh, well, do tell. What was what were you doing? Where'd you go? So I went to Port Sorel, which is towards the north of the... Well, it's pretty much the farthest north you can go on the, the state. Um I don't know how I didn't know that. I always thought Port Sorel was that down the bo- like south um, southwest. No, it's up near Devonport. <laughs> why is why is the Sorel down south and then? Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> Just eating lunch. <laughs> Wait, why is Sorel down south and then Port Sorel at the top? That makes no sense. Well, one's a port. You can't like. There's no water around Sorel. Yes, there is. What, at Sorel? Yes. Where's the water at Sorel? Quite literally at Sorel. Sorel has water. Yeah, but there's no port there. No, you're right. There's no port there. Yeah, so they had to put the port up there. <laughs> you're saying that they're the same town. They've just spread them a couple of hundred. No, 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 no. It's not the same town. Yeah, then why didn't they call it a different name? Who is this Sorel It person? is a different name. It's Who? Port Sorel. <laughs> you're not helpful at all. You're not helpful at there's, all. This is like there's there's a Salamanca mm-hmm. in the middle of Hobart. Okay, but there's also a Salamanca in Spain. They're not the same city. <laughs> Jesus but Christ! They're both yeah, but they called prob- the same thing. They probably didn't consult each other though. That's the difference. I don't think they consult each other either. But Port Sorel, Port Sorel and Sorel are probably named after the same person. Do you reckon? Yeah. Nah. All right. Why don't we uh, Why don't we put some money on this? Nah. Yeah, come on. I don't want to put money on come this. Come on, we can... Oh, look, I bet you. I bet you they're the, uh, bet you they're the same. same All right. Person. Bet you. Bet you. All right, so what did you do up in Port Sorrel? Um, not much. There's not much to do up in Port Sorrel. I went to a bar and played at some pool. It was good. It was great. Good fun. Went out in Devonport. Um... Played some more pool. <laughs> Did you and me used to go play pool quite Sometimes, a lot? Sometimes, at the Welcome Stranger. Welcome Stranger. Yeah. The That's, Strangler. Is that still open? <clears throat> no. Closed down. Closed down. Pub right in the middle of the city closes down. It was like a pool hall. They had like 10 pool tables. Yeah, and nothing else. There's, yeah, they had pretty good chips. Yeah. But now they're gone. Um, I don't know where you go to play pool in town now. I think mm. maybe Hobart City. Mm-hmm. Like the, there's a pub called Hobart City. Um, they got rid of the pool table at Intensity too. <laughs> Intensity. Intensity, yeah. which is like a game arcade. 
Yeah. I was just thinking of um, arcades and stuff. Fun tree. I was actually thinking this morning about um, <clears throat> uh, you've been to Adelaide? No. Uh, so, look, in Adelaide, there's a, I remember there's a mall there called Marion Shopping Centre. So, you know, our Eastlands Shopping Centre. Yeah. So, our Eastlands is sort of like a really small version of Marion. Marion's so big that it's actually inconvenient to park at one side and walk to the other side because it's so many kilometres of, of walking. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, the um, uh, the EB Games or Electronics Boutique, as it, as it was called when I was growing up, we'd park at one side and then you'd have to walk to the EB Games. and then But the arcade was all the way at the other side. Right. So you'd have to go all the way up and back. And, oh, my God, it was just terrible. Get your exercise. Oh, I tell you. One super cool game that my my dad bought me from that EB Games, there was a Worms collection, which had Worms Two. Uh, the best one, I think Worms Two is awesome. It's heaps. I think it's better than Armageddon and all of that. Game. Oh yeah, it's got so much more customization. And then it had Worms Pinball. Have you ever played that? No. I'm telling you, this is an underground game, and I think you can buy it on Steam now. But it was made by the people who made Addiction Pinball, which only had one, uh, I think it only had one table, but it was like, I wouldn't even call it like a pinball simula- simulation because it's actually a little bit friendlier than a regular pinball table. Okay. It's so good. It's it's like, um, you met, you played Bulls of Steel though, yeah? No. No, I, oh, look, man, if you love pinball games. I love pinball. Oh, mate, there's, there's even this... Um, it has this uh, digital screen. You know how pinball tables have this? Yep. And it has one super sheep mode where you actually physically fly the, sh- the sheep with the bumpers. So if you go into this, um, oh, and it has multi-ball and all of the guns and stuff like that have different effects. And, mate, I'm telling you, Worms Pinball, surprisingly underground hit. Nobody played it, but it's such a good game. Do you want to know the nerdiest thing, pinball thing I've done? Okay. Um, uh, too nerdy thing. Remember the Space Cadet pinball on Windows computers? Oh, I love Space Cadet. So I uh, I found out that there are cheats to that game, mm-hmm. and I did the cheats. That's number one nerdy thing. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, this like mind-blown moment where you're like, oh, this game that everyone has, mm-hmm. there are cheats that nobody knows. And so you can instantly give yourself like two billion points. It's like done. <laughs> Push a button, two billion points. And then you can just like click the mouse on the ball and just drag it where you want it to go. Is that right? Yep. Wow. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. But the the nerdy thing that I did, yeah. I learned how to play the song on keyboard. <laughs> How's the song go? Oh, I can't sing it. It's like <laughs> uh, it's like arpeggiated. It's just sixteenth notes the whole way through, <laughs> and it's really cool. And it's got this cool funky bass line. It's like and yeah, it was it was really cool. Oh. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I did that while I was away in London, and I was playing that away, and like you know, oh, I guess the song, and no one could ever get it. And I'm like, pinball. It's too underground. It's it's, underground. it's awesome. It's a cool song. Speaking of uh, nerdy ways to cheat, um, do you remember Game Hack? Okay, so oh wait, yeah, yeah. So it was a value hacker. So what you do is you search, you um, set the game to the application, so yep. game hack to the application. You type in a digit, then you change the digit in the game, 
and then it will find, it will show you all the digits that have changed and then you can find the exact sort of hexadecimal thing that is changing. Yeah. And I used to do it in pinball games and stuff all the time where if, let's say the game doesn't have any cheats, you do it so that the um, going up one ramp or something like that would give you 50 million points instead of the regular 100,000. Yeah. And then it was a really good way. Like I used to, my brother was, he'd just play games a lot longer than I used to. So I'd, um, I'd always be, I'd be hacking the game and then, and then my score would be right at the top. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then, I, I love that. I, I wish get, um, value hackers sort of still exist. I don't think they still exist, do they? Don't know. People don't cheat in games anymore. No, nah, because of achievements. <sighs> People prefer achievements over cheats, which I think is stupid. I don't I think care about it achievements. So, yeah, I, like, I'm, you know, that I love trophies and stuff yeah. in my games, but God, God, I miss cheats. Like, I would, I think I would sacrifice achievements for cheats if I had a choice. Oh, I would too. I, I mean, some of the best cheats of all time, like the Doom, uh, no through walls. No was, clip. Yeah. Yeah. The Doom no clip. I D S P I S P O P D. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or God Mode, IDDQD. I remember all of those things. Yep. Wolfenstein, that had the cheats. You just hold down MIL and you get the all the guns and all the keys. <laughs> Duke Nukem, that had one so that you could get the strippers to flash. Um, uh, this is a bit of an underground one. Um, there's a racing game called San Francisco Rush, which is an arcade game. Yep. Um, they made a, a sequel to that called Rush 2. And if you go into, I think the way it worked is you went to the options menu and then I think you had to hit down a bunch of times more than it said, like 10 times, and then the cheat menu would unlock. Yep. But the cheats would all be grayed out and there was like literally 200 cheats. And each cheat had an individual input code. Input code. And um, which sometimes meant, so you booted up the game and you would have to do this every time. So you might spend 10 minutes inputting the cheats, right? Yep. And you'd have to, like I got so good at uh, like my favourite 15. Yep. That you'd um, you know, them to memory. hold C left, press um, right on the Nintendo 64 controller. Anyway, um, and but it had a way of fundamentally changing the game. So um, racing in that game is okay, but they had this mode called Death Race where if you hit another car, you both would explode. Right. Which was fun, but it instantly ruined your game. So what you would do is you go into the cheat mode and turn invulnerability on, yep. which just turns it on for you, but the other cars are still death race on. Yep. So now you can, um, and then you turn on super speed and with invulnerability, when you get hit into a wall and exploded by another car, your car flips and does rolls in the air and all of this stuff. And it basically turned Rush 2 into Burnout. Yeah, right. And this is years before Burnout came out. Yeah. And it was so much fun. I Like, literally, I probably paid 100 hours of the cheat modes in Rush 2 because the, the cheat modes were so good. Yeah. No, I, I find the same. Um, like, there was something about, you know, having StarCraft and just having all the resources, like, requirements turned off. So that you can just build the most incredible massive base and just like rush any any computer player. You can't do it online with friends, obviously. But I do you remember we played Borderlands once, uh. and I think it was the first time I'd ever played it. And we jumped into an online game, and there was a hacker in the game, and they didn't call themselves a hacker. They said I'm a script injector, 
And we're like, oh, what do you, what can you do? And they're like, watch this, and pushed like three buttons, and all of a sudden my character is like the most OP thing in the game, where like I could shoot the guns or I could just use my little power and everything on the screen would just die. And that changed our game permanently too. Yeah. That's the other thing is that like I remember that guy and I remember playing as that character later. That character was fucked after that. It was like it was always a super OP. Yeah. And it had low gravity I think as well, like super high jump. Oh, mine didn't. For the rest of the game, even after that person had gone and I logged back in and my character always had those abilities. Yeah. I have no idea how it how it actually happened. Well, I, I guess... Um, it must be something specific with Borderlands that... It, it is because the game isn't held on a server, is it? It's held on your computer. And yeah. so when you're editing the file, it's a file on your computer that's being edited. Did I ever tell you um, that makes me think of the, the crew? So that's a uh, like a 5 out of 10 racing game for the PS4, right? Right. But it's... Uh, it's saves are stored on the cloud not on your ps4 so if you reformat your ps4 the game still gives you your original account yep which will be fine if it if the actual um if it wasn't broken so um they had this thing where if you saw every region of the game you would get a trophy yeah right now, I'd done every other thing, so literally 99.9% of the game, but it wouldn't give me this trophy. This one was glitched. Yeah. But it's glitched on my online account, not on my thing. So I've I've reset my game. I've done everything. I've, I've reinstalled my entire PS4 because this is a 200-hour platinum, right? Right. I, it's probably 160 hours to get that far in the game. Yeah. And I could not get this trophy. And that was back in the days of, you know, having having like 100% trophy completion. Yeah. And basically after this this one, um, I didn't want to do trophies anymore because it, this game um, online glitched me and then it ruined my percentage and there was nothing I could do. Yeah. Years later, I actually, I just kept sending support requests to to Ubisoft and they never, never replied or anything. And then years later, one of them called me, I think. Yeah, they, I think we spoke on the phone. And they were like, look, I've seen you. You've had a number of support requests about this particular problem. And what do you want us to do? And I'm like, delete my account. And they're like, but you've got hundreds of hours of progress like now. If we delete your account, you're not going to have any. I'm like, yeah, but what other choice do we have? Like, can you just inject me the uh, thing? And they're like, nah. Well, I'm like, just then just delete my account and I'll start again because all I need is this trophy and then I'm done. And they did it. And I think I'm the only person I've ever heard because there were lots of people who were in the same bucket on that game. Yeah. Lots of trophy hunters. And they deleted my account. Because it's a full thing, isn't it? The trophy hunting is like a, there's a whole culture of people out there that will like buy games, not because they want to play the game, but because it's an easy trophy and they just want want to get the trophy. Yeah. And well, in the crew, that's... um. Generally, the sort of people who like trophy hunting aren't necessarily after the easy completion. There, it's the same thing with the Power Washer game that you that I yeah that I rated last week on our um, elusive podcast here. Um, that uh, it's there's some sort of enjoyment happening from from doing this repetitive task, ticking these boxes. 
And uh, I think particularly if you have the sort of mind that I have and you're a little bit, um, a little bit OCD, a little bit, you know, um, you have maybe you have a really boring, varied, mind-intensive job or something like that, and you just want you want an absolute Zen experience. Um, then trophy hunting's great, but it is trophy hunting's one of those things that walks this like tightrope, and if you if it falls down into a category of being really annoying, yeah, it falls down deep and it's horrible. But if you stay on that tightrope at the top and you somehow manage to navigate all of these plot holes like, you know, um, glitches and uh, uncompletable trophies and things like that, then it's it's wonderful. I remember so, you telling me, I, I think it was a trophy in Watch Dogs, like there was a drunk mini game. <laughs> oh, oh, no, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so in that one, what happens is, you know, the two analog sticks on the controller, yep. right? They, it puts two circles on the screen and then it's rotating <laughs> them. So, you know, how it's it's this act of patting your head and yep. your and and rubbing your tummy at the same time, that sort of coordination problem. But on top of it, it it lags the controller on, on purpose and makes you and the drunker he gets, the more the controller does the opposite to what you think it will. So so <laughs> I think by the end of this mini game, you're literally doing the opposite circular rotations. <laughs> And it's and that it's showing you on the screen in order to get the circle inside the other circle. I mean, it's one of those things that, like, you know, when they tell you it's a two hundred hour game, um, they're just they're just filling it with with lots of uh, terrible tasks in order to just beef up that runtime. Yeah, because it's it's like that's an absolute nightmare. It's one of the worst things that you could ever do. You'd have to you have to really really want the trophy. And the worst part is that. By then, you've probably done the entirety of the game. So there's maybe 50 hours or something you've spent in that game. And then you get to that last that last little notch and it's like, make these circles stay inside of the circles, but your controller won't actually respond yep. the way you expect. It's terrible. That's, that's terrible. Um, there are some others that are um, even more diabolical than that, but... Uh, I'm glad you you've got a bet. You seem to have a better memory for this stuff than I even I do because I don't even remember telling you about that. But oh no, I remember that one because I remember how annoyed you were about it. Like you had to, you spent just ages on this. I probably spent eight hours trying yeah. to get the circle inside the circle. Yeah, and it's one of those things that like some other person probably nailed this first time. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it's like it's it's an accessibility thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a I, oh. I was playing a game on the um, Wii mm. back in the day Nintendo uh, Skyward Sword Zelda. Mm. Did you I don't know if you did you ever play through that one? Yeah. Probably. There's a there's a bit in the game and it's like three quarters of the way through the game mm. where like you you go down to the you you enter the main world, part world of the game mm. and everything's underwater mm-hmm. and. They're like, oh no, everything's underwater. We need your help. You need to collect a hundred notes uh, of like there are just notes flying around the place, and you just Musi- need to musical notes. Yeah, musical notes, and you have to swim around and collect them. And uh-huh. they're all like in a sequential chain, like going through the water like little snakes. And you have to like start at the tail and collect every note and get to the top before you collect them all. Because if you miss one, 
it'll regrow and you have to collect them again. And it would like, I, I remember at the time thinking, there's no way that they're actually expecting you to do this. This has got to be some kind of troll. This is the worst experience ever. And no, it was the thing that you had to do in the game. And it was like nothing like the rest of the game. It was the most tedious, mind-numbing experience. Mm. And because of that one little part of the game, I've never gone back to that game. Yeah, I don't know why, but this actually made me think of Mario Kart 64, which um, by all rights is an amazing game. Mm. But 150cc... Um, do you remember the auto catch-up system with the other players? The rubber banding. Rubber yeah. banding. Um, it's it's terrible on 150cc, but it's not as bad on 50 or 100. But the cars, the the actual carts, react differently, have different speeds yeah. when you're playing on 150cc. Yeah. So all of those, like, corners and the way you move and stuff sort of changes and you get used to playing in certain cc modes Mm. and then you go to 150 cc and then i remember there are some levels um do you remember schubert uh sherbert valley that's the Uh, snow one on the ice now i think that's like level three in world three in in um and um and far out like i (laughs) you know you get good at these things but there are some levels in that game that are just terrible for auto catch up they're terrible for pickups and somehow just ruin the entire like you dread going to that cup yeah and then on the other hand i love doing 150 cc on uh on the rainbow road um cup because you you know you always do the jump you risk it for the biscuit (laughs) (laughs) uh i miss cheats man yeah i was never a massive mario kart person Mainly for, well, I guess for that reason. I was never a big racing car game person anyway. But um, Mario Kart's fun, but it's like I could play this or I could play Mario the game and have a much more fun time. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I tended to do. I'd play Mario Kart with friends, but I'd never just sit there on my own and play Mario Kart. I always, look, I love Mario 64, but I don't actually think it's a very fun game. Like, if you're going into that game to have fun, what you might do is go to World 1. You might go find that tortoise shell and yeah. go for a little surf around. That's yeah. what you generally generally do. But, like, you look at all the other levels that you might go to, like Boo Boo's Haunt House. Uh, I mean, that's terrible. That's not a fun level at all. It's it's fun to play through for the objectives, but if the objective is done, there's nothing there to do that's fun. Yeah, but that's the whole game. Like, there, if you've done all the objectives, there's not really much to do there. Well, um, I used to like sort of speed running the levels, so like working out how, how quickly you could do them. Yeah. And uh, there's only a few that are fun for that as well. I, I think um, the first Bowser battle through. So at um, once you get eight stars, you remember doing because it's all on these tiny little platforms. Yeah, you can just like if you know the routes, you can just really quickly triple jump and, and skip and, areas. Oh, yeah, it's and it just looks so elegant. And I was like, really good at doing that for the final oh, Bowser. It's so good. Yeah. All right, let's. It's a very nerdy talk. We got into some games there, mate. I there's one game that I was just about to tell you about as well. Sure, uh, go ahead. I. I had this game when I was little and it's like, it came out like 97, I think, oh, yeah. 98. Like we had it on a old Windows 98 computer. Okay. It's called Riven. 
Now, the it's the to sequel Mist. to Mist. Yes. Now, Mist has just recently come out. They've remastered and made it 360 walkabout in like 2021. Because yeah, these are adventure games back then, aren't they? Yeah, well, it's, it's um, yeah, I guess it's a puzzle game. You'd call it like a it puzzle adventure. It was an adventure game. It was a point and click. Yeah. Yeah. But like everything to do in it is a puzzle. Like the whole thing is one big puzzle. Mm. And the game is way too hard. For, for like as a kid, you know, you could go in and you could play play the game, and like there are certain little things in the game that are kind of cool. Like you can eventually find your way to like a roller coaster thing to nav like hop between islands and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, that's cool because it's got like a little animation of going over the roller coaster. Mm. And as a kid, like that was the thing that did it for me. I'm like, oh, I passed the level. I'm up to the next one. But it, the game doesn't work like that. It's not a linear game. It's like you've got to backtrack, kind of like you do in a Metroid. Like you've got to. The puzzles are there, but you don't have enough information to solve them until you go to the next island and then find more information and come back and try them again. And um, the whole game is full of this. And I tried it again, couldn't couldn't do it. And so, like, I finally resorted to just like a pug run. I watch a playthrough online, and and I have to say, watching someone do it online, it just makes you feel dumb because. Oh, were they they just finding really obvious things? No, no, but the level of, like, um, <laughs> what you need to be able to, like, fathom in order to be able to solve this game is, like, so ridiculously, like, beyond what you do in a normal game mm. that you're like, this, this game is not for people unless you're willing to sit down with a notepad, take notes as you go, like, look at descriptions and do sketches of, like, particular things and then sound associations and be like, okay, well, I've found this sound and it's lining up with this symbol. I better make a note of that so that like later on there might be a puzzle that will use that. And in the playthrough, they're only making note of the actual things that are relevant. And so like in one part, there's like, um, they're looking at a rock formation and it's like looking up at the sky. And if you notice the negative space, it makes out the outline of a frog and it's like, okay, that's, that's, related to the frog symbol. <laughs> what? And, um, yeah, it's just... You, you, this is the thing. You can't, you can't watch... Um, you can't watch walkthroughs and stuff like that. I just feel like if you do, it, all of that, that self-discovery feeling, which is the whole reason you play a game like that, yeah. is gone. No, no, but the, the point is the self-discovery thing is I just don't see how you can self-discover it <laughs> like the puzzles are too difficult for someone i don't know someone like me to be able to discover i don't think i would be able to figure out this game um uh, well i mean i've watched the walkthrough yeah and even now i don't think i could i could do it in those days as well there was um most games came out with a manual and the manual had lots of um, like instructions that were not included in the game at all. Whereas yeah. nowadays, you you get games digitally, and you just you just get the game. Yeah. But there was like it could be that in the manual it says you know look to look for the frogs in the negative space in the stars. Oh something. no, this game didn't have anything like that. You don't know that though. You don't know what came with it. That's the thing. Um, all all I can say is that. Like I just, I really want to do it. I really want to do it. Like I, I'm even now. Like I know what is required in order to solve it. I'm going to have to have a notebook and go through and be like, oh yeah, that's one of the things that the dude saw. I've got, a, I've got a spiritual successor for you to try. Yeah. 
of missed, but I don't know if you will have played this. Okay. The Witness. Yes. You have played but it. But I haven't finished it. Oh, okay. But this this is not like that in that um, The Witness, you know what you're getting into. Like you've got the, the line puzzles and the stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, um, but this, the, this one. The line puzzles transition into environment puzzles. Yes, but not in the same. Like, I, I, I feel like I, we should sit like, down. I've played. Play I've played enough Mist in my life to know that I don't like Mist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Mm. Um, oh, I really want to do it though. Like, I want to. I want to do Riven now that I've seen the walkthrough. I, I feel like. Yeah, but now you know that's the problem. If you watch any of that, you you ruin the experience. Well, this is it. the thing because I've I I've wanted. I it, there's something in me that just wants to do it. And then once I've done it, I want to try and go to Mist and do that because I know nothing about that one. But I, I know that it's an inc- meant to be an incredible game. Would you play the original Mist or would you play the remake? Oh, I don't know. Because mm. um, there are three versions. There's the original that came out. Uh, then the remake. There's and the, the 2010 remake. version, and then there's yeah the 2021 version. Yeah. Um, I think the 2010 version is 3D as well. It's not. Uh, it's it is 3D. But it's um, still point and click, whereas the new one is like you've got your analog stick and you walk around. Oh, man. I think it'd be harder. Could be. Could be. Yeah. I think I'd go the purest route the first. Pure, you're a purist. Play the purest route. Uh, yeah. Well, besides games, um, let me think. What have I been up to? Um I'm still playing a bit of Power Power Wash Simulator in my spare time, but that's not all I'm doing. I, I swear. I I actually went to work yesterday, so it's January. I'm meant to be on leave and stuff, but um, yep. I went to work, and the the boss sort of made me feel guilty about it. But it's hard because the job that I was there to do I was uh, there to oversee a lighting focus, which basically means. Um, they they put people in uh, up riggers up in the roof, and then they position all of the point lights and focus the beams and stuff to make a consistent lighting. Uh, to make consistent lighting, and then when you do the video, the everybody looks appropriately lit. Um, now in my team, I'm meant to look after that, but they scheduled it in the only time the both the hall and the three riggers that they had were available which was this week where I'm on leave. So they messaged me like, hey, do you want to come in and do this? And I'm like, not really, but I guess I'll come in. And I went and, so I went and did a whole day of work. And when we say work too, it is, this is the most mind numbing job because it's, with, uh, because of safety precautions now, these mm. people have to wear full body harness. Like they're probably 15, 20 meters above the stage. So if they fall, they would probably die without a harness. So that, in fact, with a harness, you probably still would, like if you fall, getting, even getting you up is, is pretty hard. So I understand why we've increased all of these uh, safety precautions, but as far as the job, the job is now four times longer. So stuff you could complete in an hour and a half now is taking all day long, you know, with your breaks and stuff like that. And that means that the people who are supervising, like we're literally, we're just sitting at the lighting console and we're just bringing up one knob and bringing it down. Yep. And turning. So I've got my phone. I'm just playing phone games on the side. And oh my God, 
I, it was such a mind numbing day. And it's funny because I've been, I've actually been in a fairly good mood around the house and stuff. And my partner, she's, uh, she's really appreciating the love and the attention and stuff. And then yesterday I was a nightmare. I was just useless company. And it was all because of this, um, all because of going into work and just being stressed out by the, by having to stay there. And my boss, so he sees me because like I have to, it's my job to manage this stuff because I'm a manager. And then I've got a director above me and the director sees me and he's like, oh, what are you doing here? And I'm like, uh, lighting focus. And he's like, well, does that need to be done? And I, I got to say, I hate being questioned on everything I'm doing. Like I, it is, <laughs> my job is hard enough and I don't, it's not like I want to be there. In fact, I probably would have paid money not to be there yesterday. I would yeah. have gone swimming with the family or something. But uh, I tell him, him making me feel guilty about it as well. Oh, I don't know what to do. I honestly, sometimes I think that uh, it's just a matter of time before they fire me or, or, you know, I'm one of those, I'm just a relentless overachiever, making sure the job is done. Like uh, my partner was saying yesterday, I said to her, what am I meant to do? Should I just be letting this stuff fail? Like if I'm not there, they would, they'd probably have to spend another, I don't know, 1500 and do it again with me there another time. And she's like, well, yeah, that's what they need to do. They shouldn't schedule it for a... I'm like, well, what if they, what if they can't, like, they literally can't get the availability to do it while I'm off of leave because the room's booked or the hall's booked or something. Yeah, she was saying that I should just let it fail. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I should let some stuff fail. I think um, that's fine. You've got to, you've got, when you let stuff fail, you need to make sure that it's going to be recognize that it's failed because you're not there. But it doesn't work that way. That's the thing. It would, um, Jake, it would absolutely refer back on me. They'd be like, hey, what happened here? And maybe the the and management executive committee and stuff, they might not even see. They might not even talk to me about it. They might never ask me why and they just go into a meeting and go, look, Tom's not doing his job. Mm. Um, this is under Tom's command to see here in his contract and uh you know it failed so it's his responsibility yeah you need to have a conversation around that then and just say i'm worried that if i'm not here it's gonna fail but like you know i'm i'm happy to not be here like when they say no, what are you doing or something I, like that you- i'm with you but the problem is that there's a buffer period between me and the executives who are in charge of even renewing my job yeah so the buffer is my director. So if I tell my director, which is the direct chain of command, I go, hey, you need these jobs completed while I'm on leave, but I'm on leave. I have no solution for you on how to actually do this because they require me, which means these things will fail. I've got to leave it with you because, and, and or we can develop a solution together before I go on leave. Yeah. Yeah. We had those sorts of conversations. A few things didn't go. So I've just done them while I'm on leave. But then he hassles me for doing them while I'm on leave. But if I don't do them, the executive committee sees it. And it's not like he goes, oh, he's on leave. That's why they didn't get done. Like you need the the intermediary. Like there's no point in me even telling him. It's like I need to skip, skip that and go straight to the, yeah, yeah, 
But I don't have a solution for that. I just think it's a it's a shitty little situation that sometimes occurs. Mm. Uh, oh well. Oh well. I think that's why I'm a little bit a little bit, you know, more subdued today. Because, you know, just doing one day like that is a reminder of that real world, which actually, you know, it's not nowhere near as fun as these holidays have been. Yeah. No, I've, I've uh, you know, I've been looking back into just going back into relief for now. Um, so I do, I work as a teacher, but I, I do uh, relief teaching, but I've been looking to get out of teaching. I've done it for 10 years. It's sort of you know, it's time to move on to something else. And I've got these really good computer skills. And so I think it'd be cool to have a job that, you know, uh, utilizes that aspect of my skill set. And so I've been looking, but, um, yeah, there just hasn't really been much, you know, in terms of biting. Um, I had a really good interview the other week, didn't get the job, um, have asked for feedback and they've just sort of, they, they said, yep, we'll schedule a call for Monday. Call never happened, so I've emailed a follow-up to say, oh, you know, what um, what was the go there? Can we can we reschedule? Haven't heard back. So I don't know. I guess I'll just go back into relief. Hmm. Yeah. I don't have any answers for you. I mean, I... No. Nah. Um, sometimes I, I think about the entire idea behind working and, you know, there's... I'm one of those people who sort of believes that in general we don't deserve anything for free. We we should be we should everyone has to sort of contribute and pay their way. Um I value people who pay tax because it helps, you know, build the roads and stuff like that. But I'm also on the other side, I you know, the society that we've managed to create for ourselves where we're embedded in these these things where we just need to constantly work the majority of our lives in order to in order to live and then we we spend the time working we don't actually live i i've got a i've got a friend and his sister uh is in perth mm-hmm. and she initially got a job working you know for the mines not in in the mines but like as a sort of like um i don't know event hospitality support person like her job was just a like to be honest she's a very pretty fit girl. Um, <laughs> I think her job was just to be there, look pretty, cook a couple of snags on the barbie and just, you know, like have a have a good time with the boys. Yeah, you know? a morale like, boost. Yeah, morale boost. Not Nothing, you know, weird or, uh, you know, sexual or anything like that. But mm. having her there, you know, she was definitely fraternizing with guys mm. while she's there and stuff. But, um, you know, her job was just to be there, you know, be morale. Mm. Um and, you know, she was doing that and it was fine. And then she sidestepped into an actual operational position there. Ooh. So she has no qualifications in mines or anything like that. Yeah. And her job is now to uh, operate this computer button where stuff will come in to this warehouse thing. She'll look at what's come in and then she has two buttons, one to say whether it's over capacity or under and she just pushes the corresponding button to say it needs more or, or less. <laughs> really? Yep. And then the automation takes care of everything else. And she does... It seems like a monkey. She does job. six days on, yep. six days off. Oh. Um, they're 12-hour days. Jeez. Um, 
and she's on 140 a year. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's like I'd do that for 140 a year. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it is, I don't know how you feel about mining. It's one of those things that uh, the more we use things like electric cars and stuff like that, the more we need these components that are, you have to drill into the earth in order to get them. We destroy, destroy more of the planet to get them. And it's this, it's another part of that, um, that cycle that I, I worry about. There's just so many of us that, uh, you know that's not a that's not a never ending thing. That might work for a few years until it doesn't work anymore, and that mine's gone. Mm. Then we go to know. Mars. I don't know what the solution is. I just uh, I don't know how I feel about mining, and in general, it's like you you often feel like you're sort of selling out your soul when you work for some of these companies. Mm. In uh, Wyala, where I grew up, um, they have an iron factory. Yeah. Um, and um, half of the town has this like red tinge to it yep. because the wind blows a certain direction and the red ore that goes into the smoke covers part of the town. So literally you can go to a tree and rub your hand on it and get red yeah, red soot from the, from the trees that are miles away from this Yeah, it's pretty bad. I remember sometimes going for a swim and then being like, why am I floating? And it's because the... The water is so full of different minerals and stuff that the the buoyancy in the water is really yeah. different. And when you think about that, you know that's you know you got kids swimming in that sort of stuff, and mm-hmm. I don't know, like um, they they shut down production a few times while I was there, um, and I I'm pretty sure it's reopened. And you want to you want to trust that they're all doing the right thing, and then you hear about things like the Aaron Brockovich case, and like, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, are they all doing the right thing, or are they all just waiting to get caught? You know, and then we'll clean up the act after that. Yeah, but everybody, like in a small town, sometimes everybody works in the one place, and then yeah. you you really can't even talk about it negatively because that's the they they took our jobs um, mentality, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, those jobs. Those jobs. God, there's too many of us on this planet, mate. It's just such a funny um, dynamic. Like I can remember being in Hobart uh, years ago and like our friendship group, you know, the minute someone got a full-time job, it's like, oh, congratulations, we got to go out and celebrate because, you know, a full-time salaried position is like a rare mm. thing. Whereas like in London, if you want a job, you've got a job that day. Like it's just so easy to, to get full-time work. Is it? Uh, yeah, the concept of not having full-time work is like, and struggling to find a job is a bit foreign. Now, is that because there's just so many people that that places just have money and they just want more people to cater for those people? Is like, why is there more work? I, I don't know. I don't have the answers. All I can say is that, like... Um, for me, as a as a teacher, I certainly had no shortage of work because the school conditions over there aren't particularly great. They're always looking for teaching staff. Mm. But uh, even my non-teacher friends always found work really quickly and easily. There's a lot more of a reliance on agencies to get you a job. And so, um, you know, when it comes to recruitment, you know, if you can't find a salaried position, you can just go into a temp job the next day and have a temp job. 
And nine times out of ten, well, in my experience with people, nine times out of ten, that temp job turns into a full-time job for that person anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I'm jealous of that. Yeah. I mean, I've got, what, two full-time jobs, and I, I feel like this year they're all sort of falling apart, and I, I'm ready to move to a different spot, I think. Yeah. I what I'm going to do. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I hear, I'm looking at, you know, my long-term prospects as well, and I, I just don't know that Hobart has what I want long-term. Um, I wonder if, like, most guys our age sort of feel the same thing. You, you know, a lot of I, people move away. I know there's, um, anytime I've had uh, construction guys here working at the house, they seem like they've got their shit together. Yeah. Like, making buckets of money and taking you know taking their family out and having good weekends and stuff i yeah is it just that we chose in you know these sorts of fields which are a bit trickier i don't know i i think about you know or not as valued right now maybe that's the best way to say it well as a teacher for instance the most you can hope to earn at the moment is like 110 111 112 grand, like around between 110, 115 grand. And if you want more than that, you'll have to move up to a leadership position and or like take on extra responsibilities or something. Um, and I just think, well, if that's the most that I can ever hope to earn, you know, in my current career, is that going to be enough to really support? Like there's no overtime or anything like that. I can't work additional hours and get additional pay. In fact, you're expected to work additional hours because you have marking and report writing and mm. sometimes you can pull, you know, an extra 10 hours a week out of nowhere, you know, and that's just that's just the job, the nature of the job. And yes, you get your holidays and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, that's, that's something. But then again, your salary is paid um, like it's just evenly split across 24 months. Like it's not about the hours that you work. It's just about 186 or whatever divided by 365. And mm. that's how they work out your pay. So I don't know. I, I think about that a lot because I think, well, I know that I've got skills that are a lot more uh, scarce than the skills of a teacher, mm. um, but I don't necessarily have the qualifications for them. And so like I've, I've talked to a couple of friends and one of them is like, oh, you should go back to uni. And I, I don't know, I look at that as like a long-term solution to a short-term problem, mm. um, especially when, you know, unqualified the most i can hope to earn is like 90 to 120 grand anyway um so i don't know maybe i should just go back and retrain for something else like i was looking at accountancy but even then like that's you do your, your degree and then mm. you basically start an apprenticeship until you get your you know your fully qualified accounting you know license and stuff yeah that just made me think of hex debt as well like i still got a hex debt oh me too yeah. Don't understand. Mine's like, like 40 grand. Yeah. Mine too. Isn't that insane? Like there are some people who just don't, didn't study for as long as we did. Like we studied for a long time. I mean, I got a master's and everything, but, you know, you need that to do teaching. Like, and when I say master's, it's not a real master's, it's a master of teaching. Mm. Um, but the units are still charged like double that of a bachelor course. Gee. Um. And then, you know, when you're at uni, you don't really think about it. Like, you're like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'm probably not going to pass this semester. I'll just do it again next time. And, you know, you, you defer it all off and, and rack up the bill and stuff because you're too busy, you know, leading a, 
a life of, well, you don't know that because you're Mr. High Achiever and get like top marks and everything. But the rest of us, we, we tend to focus on three of our four units uh, every semester. And then one will either do really well in or, or not so well in or um, maybe not even pass that one and I'll, I'll pick it up next time. Mm. I think I failed two, maybe two, three, probably two units when I was when I was studying. Mm. <laughs> that just made me think of um, that teacher, Dave. Like I was a high achiever earning like grades 98, 99% of 100%. Yeah. Like clearing my grades and then this teacher starts and my grades went down like 20 points. Yeah. I'm like, I, when I got my first marks back, I'm like, mate, why are my grades less? I'm, I'm, and he was like, oh, I just don't think your work was as good as that. And I'm like, but you know, usually I'm getting grades in these high 90s. Um, like the other teachers have called it faultless. Like why, why are you saying that it's different? And he goes, I think the other teachers are wrong. Hmm. <laughs> and I remember that and I'd be like, but uh, I remember sitting down after that first time he told me that. I went away and looked and I'd spent, I'd spent something like four times more doing his work than any other previous um, technology stuff. Yeah. But he gave me less marks. Like I, you know, um, I, there was one that I think he even gave me 78, which is I think just under. A high distinction. A high yeah. distinction. And I was a, I was a Dean's Honor Roll stu- student consistently because I was doing five courses every, yeah. every semester at, um, at HD. And then this guy comes along and gives me a distinction, a 78 on one of them. Hmm. And I was like. And after that, I was pretty um, disenfranchised by the whole thing because I, I worked really hard to do those those things. I didn't, you know, I I do study groups and all sorts to make sure that I was um, I was really good. And on the, you know, I'd also I had to earn a bit of money as well because I didn't have parents looking after me. I had to so I'd work on the weekends and then I just do study groups every every night and then I'd do my homework and that was my sort of life while I, while I was getting good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. It was funny looking back on that one teacher who, uh, who nearly ruined it all. If you let him. I was very much the, I'm not going to care about this until there's a few days until the assignment's due. <laughs> yeah. And then I would, um, like, I, I don't think I did. I might've done, you know, two readings every semester um, and yeah, the work, I was very much like, oh shit, this is due in two days. I better make a start. And so I'd do it. And then, um, usually I could get, usually I could get it in, you know, a few minutes before the deadline and it would be fine. And that's after like getting done, proofreading it and everything. Sometimes I'd, I'd write the essay and then I'd check out books from the library to fill it with references, uh, like doing it the wrong way around. And then sometimes I just wouldn't get it in on time and I'd send an email to my lecturer and, um, you know, try and get a, uh, you know, what do they call it, extension. And I'd be, I don't know, about 80% successful with that. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, oh yeah, just give it to me, you know, Monday or whatever. Or or some um <laughs> there was one time when like I had no hope of getting it done on time. So I was halfway through the essay and I just started typing in a heap of gibberish and then a couple of lines later I just wrote in caps error file corrupt and submit that. <laughs> and then like I after I submitted, I kept working on it and it took another two days or something. And then the lecturer emailed me and said, Oh, I th- I think that essay that you sent hasn't <laughs> hasn't come through properly. I'm like, all right, I'll I'll send it through now. And Jesus, that's smart. They were like, wait, hold on. How do I know that this is this is good? And I'm like, no, no, look. And then I um right clicked on it and opened it up on the Google computer, yeah. and like they've got the timestamp there. Yeah. And the timestamp said, oh, this this was last accessed, you know, before the deadline. And like, okay, cool, fair enough, that's fine. Uh, but he didn't know that if you change the system clock on the computer <laughs> and save it, and then change the system clock back, that it registers that the timestamp was uh, <laughs> before the date. And so oh I did my that. God. And got a free extension. That's a, that's that's somewhat great. That's yeah, somewhat great. I that's quite marvelous, really. Yeah, I did that a few times. <laughs> uh, uni lecturers are, like they they've got no idea. They're holding on to the handlebars as well, just trying to stay above ground. Well, it's it's bullshit for them too because they they're not there to teach. They they're there to you know do their research. Well, it depends. Some of them are there to teach. Some of them are there to do their research, and you know, the teaching is a little side thing that they just have to do while they're doing their research. Mm. Um, and, yeah, some of them love that part of it. Some of them hate that part of it. None of them are qualified in it. Like, what you need to do to be a uni teacher is like, I don't know, a five-hour course, I think, or maybe a unit, and then you're suddenly qualified. Um, Here's an interesting one. Uh, this is one of those... Um, because they they thought I was a god's gift to music technology at one point, and they were they were, teachers were very they were oh Caleb's just the best, and they'd be saying stuff like that in class with the other ki- students there, and I'd be like, I constantly had the um, thing of thinking, I hope nobody asks me to do anything <laughs> like in front of them. I was never that fast or anything, and um, I remember one of the teachers goes, hey. Um, uh, I, I'm just going to show you how to do some beats. Um, uh, Caleb, can you come up and just um, use the Logic keyboard and and type in a beat? <laughs> so, like, I go up in front of the class. Yeah. And this is go- this is after he's just raved about me, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm like, uh, okay. And I so I just press play and I I do. Yeah, and the, right, and then I just press loop, and then, and then he looks at me. He goes, "If if that's all you were gonna do, <laughs> right, <laughs> I would have done that." Like he was just so offended that I chose the four four drum beat, <laughs> like the, mm. with nothing else to it. He was like, he just he looked at me, he's just like, I just spent all this time raving about you, and you did the <laughs> most obvious thing uh could just take in a loop off but there. like but anytime i had to get up in front of the class i'd be so i'd be so nervous to do the whole thing my hands were probably shaking and stuff that's probably all i could even do uh, i remember stuff like that so clearly those any time that i've been embarrassed in my life i remember that forever i i remember um when i was there i did a midi course mm-hmm. and 
I'd be the the person to get up to get like that asked me to you know help with the projector and stuff and they couldn't get it to work or sometimes they'd just be sitting there and you know trying to get it to work and not being able to know so I'd just go up and do it mm. and I can remember sometimes I'd, I'd get like looks from people like oh here we go he's gonna go up and help again is he oh. and I'm like well yeah I don't want to sit here wasting time while they don't know what to do the person who can use Mac display preferences is basically the god of <laughs> yeah and then and then in that course, there was this lady uh, who had a very uh, unorthodox name. Not that that is <laughs> fore- foretelling, but she was like, "This is an advanced MIDI course. Like, this is you know, we're doing technical stuff." Yeah. Um, she had no concept of computing whatsoever. Like, she wasn't a you know regular con student. She'd come in to do this course because she was interested in making music and stuff. And, you know, it'd be like, okay, well, first we need to boot up the computers. And she'd be like, well, how do I do that? It's like, oh, there should be a button on the back. Oh, whereabouts? <laughs> and then turn it, up, turn it on. And then, all right, now, first thing we want you to do is open up Logic. How do I do that? And every every little, like, thing that you would just take for granted, like um, oh, when you hit the stop button, you can just hit space on the keyboard. Which one's space? Like... Yeah, she just uh, asked the most tedious questions. Is like, oh my god, why are you here? And sometimes because I'm, I was, you know, that sort of semi teacher's assistant sort of person. They, he'd just come. The teachers come up and be like, "Hey, can I just assign you to look after that person for yeah. the class? Can you just sit next to him?" So instead of doing my work for the class, yeah. I just spend all classwork looking after these these idiots. <clears throat> People yeah. technology illiterate and unadventurous. It's funny, people who are good at computers by the time, you know, in our lifetime school, we're in our 30s. Um, you probably started with computers at, at some point earlier in your life. And back then, people didn't really tell you stuff about computers. You had to learn it. Like yeah. somebody, you'd, you'd meet someone and they'd be like, have you ever tried in DOS prompt, trying CD slash? And, and you know, that's how you work out, oh, what, oh, there's different commands in DOS prompt and stuff. Like, how do you, who ever to- told me that there were commands in DOS prompt that you could do? Yeah. File copying and stuff like you, back in those days, you, everything was just word of mouth and- For me, it was help. You just type in help, it'll give you all the commands. <laughs> I just remember, um, like, you have to find all that stuff out back then and- and you sort of got good. You got adventurous too. You, yeah. Um, I think some of the times that I learned the best were my first computer viruses where if you – I've destroyed some of my personal computers with computer viruses by going to dodgy websites, downloading the wrong wares or something like that yeah. with my teen years. And, uh, and now, you know, I never go to those websites. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No. Because you, you know you know better. But we've learned through failure. But nowadays, we sort of expect people to just learn without that experience. You know, we're trying to teach people. They just, people don't even understand what DOS was and what mm. Windows used to be like and stuff like that. Um, I, I found, so I was teaching computer science in London. And I found that kids today are much less technically, technologically literate than they were 10 years ago. Um, And I think a big part of that is the advent of tablets. And so people don't have a home computer anymore. They have a tablet. And you get year seven kids coming in and 
they sit down on the computer and they go to touch the screen. Like there's a mouse there. They've never used a mouse. They, they're used <laughs> to touch screens. And uh, so we, we were a Google school. We relied heavily on Google Cloud for you know, all of our files. Everything was done in Google Docs. Mm. And getting them around the concept of Google Drive versus the File Explorer was a really bizarre concept to try to teach because they're like, what do you mean? No, my files are here. What do you mean files on the computer? And, yeah, getting around that. How do I get to that again? And so, oh, you click on the folder icon on the desktop. And they're like, oh. And then next week, what do we have to do? Like, it's just not something that they're used to. Um, and all yeah, of our all of our concept. software was pushed out from, you know, a central thing. And so some computers just didn't get configured properly. And so they'd go to open Microsoft Word and it wouldn't be on the computer. Um, and that's oh, it's not installed on this one. And I'm like, no, no, trust me, it's there. Um, and I'd go over. And if I, the only way to get to it was to go through command prompt because they'd have um, the C drive like hidden so that they couldn't open C drive. And so you could access it through command prompt, but that was the only way. So I'd open up DOS and like, you know, start going, you know, CD dot, uh, CD slash program files or whatever. Mm. And all the kids would like, start crowding around like, he's hacking, he's hacking. <laughs> he's hacking. Teach me how to do that. Oh, God. And I just, you know, navigate to Office 16 folder, open up WinWord and then, whoa. <laughs> um, oh, God. And, yeah, that was. But I don't know what you do if you didn't grow up in that in our age. Like computers must just seem like they're mystical or something, right? No, they're not, they're not mystical. They're, they're just a thing. They're a thing and... Um, there, there's hacking, and then there's just using the computer normally. It's there's nothing mystical about it. It's like, oh, uh, they don't care. <laughs> Kids don't care. They're just like, well, do can I remember, use it to watch? Do you videos? remember NetSend? Yeah, <laughs> where you could send you could send other computers on the network a a message prompt box. I I got banned from computers for the for the year at school because of NetSend. Did you NetSend all? I well, I didn't, but uh, someone else did on my account while I was there, saying do it. <laughs> and yeah, so um, we were doing NetSend, and initially we were just doing it like you know NetSend to you know my friend um, Stan, mm. and you know NetSend, you know Stan, you type in his username, and you know. Uh, you fat mother, you know, kind of stupid <laughs> little things like that. Yeah. And um, then a- along came a friend of, well, this this kid in my class who was like the nerdiest kid you've ever met in your life. Um, and he was a good kid, but like he, you know, he, he knew stuff about computers that no one else knew. Mm. He was like, that was his, that was his friend. You know, the computer was his friend. He didn't really talk to people much. He just did his computer thing. And he just said, do you know, if you just put star in instead of a username, it'll go to everyone. And we're like, really? And and uh, he's like, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I typed in the command and then I wasn't going to do it. I'm like, yeah, you know, oh, this could be funny. And then um, when I went to backspace it, another kid just pushed enter and it just said hi and it went to every computer in school. And we're talking hundreds of computers. And it went to all the teachers' computers, all the office computers, everywhere. And you remember the uh, the message box alert tone went, dong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, 
yeah, I don't know, like 20 seconds later, we all had a good chuckle about it and then like, you know, do it again. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. And then uh, someone else sat down and did it and they just made it say hello or something. And um, like we weren't sending anything nefarious or anything, but it was going to every computer in the school. Mm. And uh, then after that, like they got up and I sat back down. I was going to go to close them. The teacher came up and like, so you're the one that's been doing it. And so I got I got the blame. Mm. And uh, I mean, it was on my account and I was involved. So, um, you know, I got the brunt of it and... I got banned from computers for the year. <sighs> Good times. Mm. Uh, that actually makes me think that maybe with my son, I should uh, should be prepared to give him a computer that's got a mouse. Mouse. Yeah. Mouse and a keyboard, and at a maybe five or something, and we just start start typing. Yeah. Probably more important than even writing on pen and paper nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, give them like a floppy disk, BBC computer with with uh, Granny's Garden. I give him uh, Secret Agent. That's the uh, that's the first game he should play, isn't it? That should get him started. I remember one on Mac that had like a big Rube Goldberg machine kind of game, and you had to like get the chicken, you had to scare the chicken to lay the egg to roll down the thing to turn on the fan. Oh, the Incredible Machine. Yeah, might have been. Oh, the Incredible Machine games are great. I actually just purchased them again, thinking that. My son would like them. Yeah, well, do yeah. that one. Yeah, I should do that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I watched a movie recently. Okay, we're going into reviews? Yeah, let's do reviews. Reviews, let's do it. Coherence. Coherence. Oh, yes, very good. 2013. Very good. An important movie, I think, even um, even with its uh, B-movie sensibilities. It's very B-movie sensibilities. Um, but I think it's got an important... Um, it's not. There's not many movies that sort of tackle um, multiple dimensions or time travel or in in sort of pseudo convincing ways. And I sort of like that one. Hmm. How'd you go with it? Um. Yeah. I mean, I went in not knowing anything about it, mm-hmm. and you know, when it started up, and it's like, oh yeah, I, I get this. It's like you know, dinner party, and people are coming around, but it's done in that sort of documentary style, like. There's a lot of camera shake and yeah, it's it feels like it's filmed by one person over the shoulder or something. Yeah, it yeah. could it could almost be done by like one of the actors, like you know, home video style. Like, yeah. oh, we've got the video camera because we're all here, you know. Mm. And it, um, it, it almost sounds too like some of the dog dialogue might be improvised. In some yeah, ways. maybe. Did you get that sense? I didn't really think about that. Yeah. Uh, all right, go on. I was too busy thinking about okay, what. What are the pieces that we're missing? And then, like, going through the film, like, trying to guess the next the next thing to be revealed. And uh, I was with a friend and we were watching it together. And um, I just kept on saying, oh, this is going to – this is what's going to happen next. And they're like, uh, yeah? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, trust me. And then, yeah. And I suppose you were right all the time. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it, – I mean, I think, though, that when you've watched a lot of that, it's – easy to predict, but I think at the time it might not have been mm. um, if you didn't know what, what to expect. But I think it did set up that sort of foreshadowing a bit. Like it's not like it, these were coming out of nowhere. It's like, you know, there's, an, there's a note and then there's a second note and it's like, okay, well, neither of them have written the note. It must be from a third place. And then, uh, spoilers, you know. <laughs> mm. um, but, yeah, questions like that, um, you know, as soon as soon as soon as that sort of – Starts happening, it's like, oh, yeah, I see what's going on. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's a it's a good good movie. Good, isn't it? Like it's yeah, yeah, definitely worth a watch. But mm. um, there's just so I feel like there are so little movies in that category of um, talking about time travel or dimensions. Prime is a good one. Uh, obviously, Primer is my favorite. I actually rewatched it the other day. Yeah. Um. And, and I'm still like, I think the first three quarters of that movie is awesome. Now I think the last quarter goes off a little bit. I yeah yeah I'd, I'd agree with that. I think. Um, I love how it doesn't it doesn't speak down to you that movie either. Yeah. Um. You could argue that the narration is a little bit leading but other than that i just i think it's brilliant i think it's kind of like when i was talking about that mist game it's kind of like that in that uh so much of what is going on has to be sort of deduced by you Mm. um and there's no hold hand holding there's no like explaining oh this is what's going on here you kind of have to think oh why why did it happen that way and then you'll notice like there might be something about the way they're wearing what they're wearing and you'll be like oh wait they're not they're not from the same time point mm. and you know you, you start to pick up on that but if you're not caught cotton on to that way of thinking you'll never notice that and the the film will mean something completely different i yeah there's i think movies like groundhog day are actually in the same category as movies like coherence too even though they're completely different style it's the same sort of ideas of you know either re- re- repetition days or going through some t- sort of time manipulation on the on the flip side groundhog day completely hand holding doesn't even need to tell you why it's happening it's a it's um groundhog days a scrooge mis- you know yeah. story there's another one that's very similar to groundhog day that's modern that i highly recommend you might enjoy called palm Str- springs have you seen this no it's a um you know the guy from Lonely Island? What's his mm. name? Adam something? He's, um, it, look, it's just a comedy where he gets to repeat the same day his entire life. Right. And uh, I find those movies very good fun. Yeah. But I do, I do, it's so much rarer to find the ones that are based on some sort of science and or at least present themselves as based on science as, a, yeah. as this could happen. And Primer, oh, Primer's entire idea and the way it leads you through the discovery of it feels mm. so real because it's a, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's like a, a startup company who are just trying things and they discover um, that one of the things that they they have has an effect on reality in a, in a strange way. Mm. And uh, and that leads them down some very strange paths um, that sometimes, if you're not paying attention to, they'll surprise you. It's one of those movies that's better on rewatching too, because the first time it's something's revealed to you, it doesn't present it as a reveal. It almost presents it as you should have been paying attention. Whereas another movie would, you know, swell up the music and tell you, yeah, yeah. that one doesn't. Something like Lucy, where they really oh, spoon feed yeah. it to you. And even Lucy, I got to say, love that movie. Yeah, and it's it's one of like that movie is made terribly. Do you remember in Lucy how they they interject all of those animal 
like wildlife shots and stuff as you're watching it. Yeah. Oh my God. I remember thinking of the direction at the time when I was watching that movie. And obviously the last 10% of that movie is, is so stupid. It's one of those movies that like you feel like you who with no writing experience could go into the room and fix it. Yeah. And, and you're like looking around at the team of writers that probably wrote this thing and thinking, you guys, like you can't be this dumb. You know, Lucy's a movie that, you know, held back by a few things. Yeah. And all of those things could be fixed. Yeah. It's otherwise great, though. Some of the action in it, it, you know, hands down, great to entertaining to watch. Um, But I think if you're going to go down that sort of like, you know, person becomes smarter than everyone else, Limitless does it way better. Limitless also has a period in that movie that yeah. holds it back from being a great movie, though. Limitless is a good movie. Yeah. And it, it's fo- it has the same problem. I It's like I think there's a problem with Hollywood writers or something where they they think that they've got you so the end doesn't matter or something like that. And it... Uh, I think it's as well they, they have to... Um, they have to write to the intelligence of a 14-year-old. Like, it... It's got to be. It's got to be. De- they've got to be able to tell the story, but they've got to make it simple enough that you know it can be. It can be understood by, you know, someone that can. It's got the same level of comprehension as like the newspaper. Um, like you know, you look at something like Looper. Now Looper has a, a slight step up in terms of that, but again, there's no new concepts in that. But I remember when that first came out, people were like hailing it as some you know fantastic new film that really explores time travel in new ways and I just think this is just like a Stargate episode yeah. you know there's nothing new in this um, could you imagine watching Coherence with like your grandma who um, oh god who would just be like oh so what's happening now yeah what's this person having it what's happening over there and then and then yeah. they like half, halfway through watching it they'll just get up and go make a cup of tea and then yeah. come back and be like so what did I miss and it's like well Everything. <laughs> You've missed so much that there's no point in finishing the film now. Uh, I can't tell you how upset I was. Uh, I remember the day. It was a, a moment in 2012 when the first Avengers came out. Yeah. And uh, I felt like I'd watched, what, three or four films by then in order to get to that one. It came out, and I think it was on streaming, so I hadn't seen it in the cinemas or anything. I, I was on streaming. And I, um, I sat down to watch it with my partner and then, my God, we sit down and then she's like, oh, I should take the dog out. She, she takes the dog out to the toilet. And so I'm just sitting there waiting because I don't want to start it and miss any of it. Yeah. Um, she comes back, oh, sits down. We start watching 30 seconds in. Oh, I should, I'm going to make myself a cup of tea. And like, so oh, can I just keep watching? No, can you pause it? Okay. Yep. And it just went on like this. And it, no joke, we were 35 minutes in and I counted that we stopped seven times. Yep. And on the seventh one, I stood up and, and I just shut it off and then walked off. And she thought I was so angry. And I was. I was like, I said to her, I'm never watching another movie I want to see with you. Like, cause she, she knew how much I wanted to see this thing. Yeah. How much I... You know, I got the right TV in and everything, you know, yep. is it, and I was watching in 4K. I was oh, so proud. 
And then I just get, I get so upset when, when you get interrupted that many times watching something you really want to see. Yeah. And honestly, once you learn that, it's actually better because um, when you're with your partner, you sort of want to watch something that they don't enjoy. Uh, sorry, you don't enjoy, so that you're a little bit focused on them and their reaction, or yeah, you know, maybe or something you've seen before. Yeah, and maybe you're sneaking in for a bit of a massage or a bit of a cuddle or something like that, and that's that's good. But if it's something you want to see, yeah, imagine being on a date or something like that and being like. Um, and like she starts touching you and you're like, oh, no, stop. This is getting to a really good bit, yeah. <laughs> you know, which I would totally be tempted to do if I liked the thing. So that's why I've got to, I've got to be careful. I've got to make sure that I choose the ones that aren't the good ones, mm. the, aren't the movies I want to see, things I've already seen or, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else to review? Oh, but you didn't give that a star value. Oh, yeah. No, pigeon value. Okay, pigeons it is. 11 pigeons. Can you be serious and just give me a star value? <laughs> um, oh, I'd say probably a three and a half. Yeah. yeah. It is about that, isn't it? It's. Um, I think you can objectively say that. There's some really poor writing at a couple of points in that movie. Uh, incoherence and it um, they get on my nerves and they're to do with the character interactions and there's one or two actors who are much worse than the others yeah and it really doesn't help yeah mind you it had a lot of people in it from Buffy I wonder if yeah it, yeah certainly from those days hey yeah yeah I um I do like that movie though yeah um, I think it's the same year or a very similar time frame to Triangle coming out as well I haven't seen Triangle yeah, which has similar vibes. Similar or, vibes. or Memento, did, is that that's the one uh, with the post-it notes, isn't it? Memento is great though. Yeah, Memento is great movie. I think it's Christopher Nolan. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and it's uh, what is it, Guy Pierce? Mate, that's a guy with amnesia who basically writes notes on himself in tattoos. Yeah, but then finds out. He has a trouble deciphering what's real and what's not. Yeah. Mm. And then, oh, what was the other person that one? Is it Butterfly Effect? Where they, I mean, they do the time travel in that one. That's in the same category. Yeah, time yeah. travel through memory. That one. There's a there's a great time travel uh, Rick and Morty episode. I do. You, do you watch Rick and Morty? Oh, uh, is is this the Vat of Acid episode with the game save? Yeah. And you can fast forward and rewind and fast yeah, forward and rewind. That is one of the best episodes of Rick and Morty, no doubt. Yeah. And it's, it's I think it's season four. So it's after the three sort of interstitial series while Rick and Morty was gaining, gaining popularity. Yeah. And it has a great message. It's uh, It's got a beautiful flashback. Um, there's a, the, have you seen the new Spaghetti episode, which has very similar vibes? Uh, I've seen them all. I, you have to remind me of the spaghetti one. They have humans um, from a different. Oh yeah, and you eat, if yeah. They, if they commit suicide, they become tasty spaghetti. Really tasty spaghetti. And then that, that has the jam flashback yeah. where the guy who has a beautiful life with it, dipping his fingers in jam. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh no. So it, the beautiful thing about Rick and Morty is it it can be really factual and cold and bitter. Yeah. And then it will immediately, it knows all of the ingredients to give you a heartwarming moment. Yeah. And it it's giving it to you like you're a 
a peasant that you that it and it's giving it like a donation. You've you've paid for it with some cold. Here, have some warmth for a moment. Yeah, and then after that warm moment, it just takes it all away. That's the way they play. They play with you. Yeah, they're trying to teach you a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your sadism and mm. things like that. And that's where that that cartoon shines way above. Yeah. So yeah, um, very important episode. So I think it's um, that of acid must be like episode season four number three or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, highly recommend Rick and Morty. Um, yeah. There's nothing wrong. If you're going to show somebody Rick and Morty for the first time, just dig straight into that first episode with yeah. the Galactic Federation and the airport. Ah, oh, that's great. Or the one where they drop the lightsaber. <laughs> no, that's not a good place to start, but it is a funny episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I tried to find that one the other day to show um, my partner, but I couldn't find I couldn't find the one with the lightsaber. I I just find like so when I started watching it, um I didn't get it. I must have watched the first six episodes and been like, oh, okay, it's just another cartoon, you know, but it's a little bit like more crass. And I, I left alone. I'm like, yeah, no, I've, I've seen enough of that. I don't need to see anymore. It's not really that funny. And then when I revisited it, it's like, oh, no, I just didn't get it before. Like because you have to go to the mindset that they're, they're doing this sort of satire, but it's done in a way like um, – it's all like it's fourth wall breaking in in ways like oh yeah no we're just gonna we're we're in a universe now where the unicorns eat snakes, you know, you just got to go with it. And it's like that doesn't make any sense. No, it does. It does make sense. We're in a universe where it makes sense. It just it just does. Just go with it. And it's like okay, and so when you when you get into the right kind of mindset about it, you're like, oh yeah, I can see you know it it does become really funny and it's you know and they they do hang a lantern on it. like oh there's a really convenient thing why why is it, like, how can you get away with doing such a convenient thing? It's like, what? We're in a universe where convenient things happen, you know? <laughs> Go with it. I don't think that's what, like, I see what you're saying, but I don't think that's what makes Rick and Morty great. It's, it's, Rick and Morty is good because of how it plays you, the viewer, not how, not necessarily sci fi stereotype stuff like that. It, it's using those as, cultural points to to either draw you in or push you away. It's yeah. playing with you and your expectations of a sci-fi show. Yeah. And um I think it I think that's why the character of Rick is so special because he's he's so intelligent. He's meant to um uh, and with intelligence comes a level of um immorality. Mm. You know, that if there was a God, the idea is that God wouldn't actually care about anything because he has the full, he has the full scope of the work of all of the universes all of, at all of the time. And therefore he doesn't actually care about anything. That's the, that's the sort of premise is the unfeeling God. And then it, it's, um, and because we're human, you know, we're meant to, you know, naturally we care about the disenfranchised or the the people who don't have as much opportunity as us. Uh, Rick doesn't have those feelings, yeah, and he thinks they're all stupid, <laughs> right? And he's he's the so when he takes you on this on this ride, it's a, almost a ride through your own morality, and it's the that that sort of finding out a little bit about. Their world is also finding out something about 
why we do like remember his car battery episode keep summer safe <laughs> they go out for ice cream in a different galaxy yeah right and his i he asks his ai controlled car to keep summer safe but in doing so it um it just kills people and and manipulates them in really gross and uncaring ways yeah because it doesn't have feelings yeah and in the end summer is so upset and by everything she's seen with murder and all of this, that she in um, asked them to to do something without killing so, someone, and in the end, the car breaks um, a peace agreement between two warring parties in order to stop to keep her safe. Um, but it's not happy about it, yeah, <laughs> right. And the sacrifice was that they lose their favorite ice cream, yeah, because now the ice cream has to be tasty to spider people as well. <laughs> but in the you know in the entire the reason that they stop there is that his car battery runs out. Yeah. Which, because his car battery is a universe and it's full of um, people that he's basically enslaved to uh, to look after to keep his car running. Yeah. So it takes you through the morality and the thought process behind that. Yeah. And in the end, everybody gets back in that car, you know, regardless of the morality around it. Yeah. The, it's funny. I saw it. There was a little meme uh, picture the other day. And it's talking about like summoning the Cthulhu to, you know, achieve some otherworldly thing of like, you know, giving you a great boon or something. And it's like, you know, what what must this be like? To, like if you saw a little pile of ants, you know, outside your front door, but they were all formed spelling out your name and it, you know, it said Tom, <laughs> that would be enough to call, to give you intrigue. And you might be like, Oh, what what's going on here? And it'd pique your interest, and you'd look down, and they'd be like, "Please, we want a piece of cake." And you might be like, you know, I might be like at the point where it's like, "This is so bizarre." You know what? Sure, have a little bit of cake. Like, what does it matter? I'll I'll have like three bites, and you can have the last bite, and it, that'd be like life changing to them. And it's like, you know, we we commit like they they think they've got, they're onto something now, and then the next time you go out and they've like spelled out your name, we command you to give us another piece of cake or something. You're like, dude, you're not going to believe it. They're out there again with the cake, <laughs> and so you're like, yeah, take the cake, and then uh, you know they start asking for more and more, and it's like, make this make this girl aunt love me, and it's like, no, I can't do that. And it's like, well, they never had any control over you at all. It's just like, well, this was just like something funny to you. <laughs> you just did it out of the the sheer whimsical quirkiness of it. Uh, and that must be what it must be like to pray. <laughs> that's actually, I don't know where you came up with that, but that's a great little. Uh, it's a great little story you've just taken us on. Mm, Far yeah. out. Yeah. I don't know what my reaction would be if I went outside and all the animals had sh- formed into my name. Yeah, mm. you're like, huh? This is funny. All right, I've got something to review, but it's an experience. It's not a thing. Uh-huh. Um, a a university friend of mine who computed, he completed uni the same time I did, so ten years ago. Yeah, yep. is a composer. I don't mm. know and they want to study at some high profile um, course, so they create a GoFundMe where you can fund their education for thousands of dollars. <laughs> now, I don't. I, I just want to tease this out because I, I, I don't want to judge too harshly. I understand the idea of um, I can't afford something. I wonder if everyone else will help me do it. But there is some sort of level of selfishness and self-importance here 
that I think is just sort of mind-blowing, where this person is almost treating everybody like their parents. Like somehow by sending this person to a school um, that we are somehow like achieving some sort of greater good for the community by sending them to us. Do you know what I mean? I, am I am I off track here or is this this app this seem fine to you? Um it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Because you see a lot of GoFundMe's for like, you know, albums and stuff and you know, working in the music industry, we we get all of those GoFundMe's popping up all the time. Right, but and, you get something for that. Yeah, and this is a person who is considered a professional now. Like mm-hmm. they're not a student. They're not, you know, right. looking to do a master's in somewhere else and then go away. They're looking to, to I guess it is it is to study though, isn't it? Like it isn't to create a product or something. Right. Um but so they're, they're sort of determining that, like, you can give your money to, I don't know, Oxfam, like a, a charity that actually helps, you know, starving kids, or you can give it to this person over here who hasn't worked out a way to pay for their own education, but is uh, is insistent that it's very important. Maybe that's more like a grant kind of thing. This person said that they tried for some grants and didn't get it. Mm. What do you think? I I think you know when you're, it might it sounds a bit like a desperate move to get you know like got no other way of getting there. This I, is going to have to be what I do. Look, I'm going to go hard line on this because I don't I don't think we're going to have the right sort of discussion unless I do. Yeah, the amount of self importance it, it takes to go. I does. I'm going to do this by asking people for money and it's not because I can't afford to eat or something like that. I literally think other people's money is somehow better with me than it is with them. I just think there's a level of self-importance here um, that is reserved only for the most selfish and self-involved people. Well, I mean, it's it's up to you to decide if you're going to fund it or not. Actually, and one thing, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I really just wanted to create a, a, a GoFundMe thing for like, I want to go to McDonald's. You know, here's a GoFundMe campaign for it. You know what I mean? You'd, really. probably, you'd probably get it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's fun at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I, I, can, I can talk to this a little bit. While I was in London, uh, there's a Facebook page, Aussies in London, which people join. And sometimes people would post on there, I'm at this Weatherspoons, um, like which is a sort of like a chain of bars that do bar food, and it's like a consistent thing all across. And there's an app where you you can sit at a table, um, type in the table number, and just order something. It'll just come to the table. And what they'd do is they'd say, "I'm at Weatherspoons here, sitting at table number forty-one. Send me something fun." And People would buy them drinks or like, you know, a bowl of mashed potatoes or like um, just really weird shit to their table. And they'd sit there and they'd get it all. And it's like, well, they're, they're getting free drinks now from people who are sending, sending, sending them stuff. Um, I Even that I have less of a problem with when than this guy's education because there is, although it's selfish to, to be the person who's asking, there is a bit of fun with seeing what happens when you give them something or yeah. just knowing that you're giving somebody a weird experience. It's the it's the idea of sort of prank calling somebody and, 
and um, yeah, mm. it's it's sort of got those vibes about it. But the idea that uh, that somebody else is going to fund your highly specific course and even asking, oh my god! But then I know girls that go out; they never pay for a drink ever. Yeah, I, I think that's that's terrible. Yeah, but you know the. <laughs> I think I think it's terrible, but here's a couple of caveats, and I'm, I'm I hope I don't sound too sexist in here. A lot, there are a lot of things we do in life that have a perceived relationship about them. So, for instance, if you go to a dinner party, it's or let's say you're going out with another couple, and you're going to their house for dinner. Yep. It would be expected that you bring a bottle of wine, or you bring, or you bring dessert, a prearranged dessert, or something like that. But there would be some. Uh, you shouldn't rock up generally en- empty-handed unless you've specifically been told that, and you should bring a bottle of wine. That's that's part of the etiquette in Australia. Yeah. Right. Now, in the relationship of the club, and you know, certainly when probably in our clubbing years, it was all about you know you'd expect that you know as the guy you're gonna have to bring a few hundred bucks because there's a chance you're paying for, not just for your drinks but for the drinks of a a girl that you've got your eye on. And uh, and for that, you may be having a chance of, uh, you know, spending a bit of time together or, you know, maybe more. I guess it wasn't, you know, it's funny now because we sometimes talk about some of the toxic behavior of expectation around it. But I don't know. Uh, that That is the relationship, you know. And when girls game it, you know, they game you for their, for your money. They're almost stealing from you. It's like it's almost pirating music sort of vibes. Yeah. But at the same time, they might not be the sort of girls you actually want to spend time with. And, and as a guy, you've sort of got to, you've got to be able to work out who's manipulating you and who's not. And sometimes that experience can help, even if you paid a couple of hundred bucks for it by the end. What do you yeah. think about that? Well, I, yeah, no, I, I, um, I try not to buy drinks for people. Like I'm, I'm in the dating scene now. I think that it's a given that, you know, you'll probably have to pay, like I'll buy the first round. But if you go on a date, a proper date with someone, yeah. I'm guessing you're still expected to pay, yeah? I don't go on a proper date with someone. I go on a, I go for yeah, a drink. Yeah. I'll buy a drink, you know, if, if someone's agreed to meet me, I'll buy them a drink. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. But, you know, if we have a second drink, you know, that'd be, if they say, I'll get this round, I'll be like, yeah, no worries. Um, I have some, uh, I've got some rules about dating. I mean, these are, these are good 15 years old now that I've been with my girl for so long. Yeah. But uh, I used to I used to do it a couple of ways. One is that if I'm ever meeting someone for the first time, you want a place that they're going to feel comfortable enough to ditch you. And a drink is a great way because yeah. the drink can end any time. could yeah. end when they finish the drink. could end halfway through a drink. It's all right to even leave a little bit and just bail yeah. because it's not working out. Yeah. So drinks, coffee, they, they can be pretty good. Yeah. And you try to avoid lunchtime or dinner time specifically. Yeah. You know, you go after or before those those times so that you don't have you to don't have that expectation. Pay for a whole meal. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, but if you uh, sometimes I'd meet a girl and um I'd be like, this has a pretty good chance and I might take her out on a on a date first one. But I usually I'd, the rule was never never actually take them out to dinner. Um like first time because they're going to feel if they suddenly decide you talk about I don't know Legos the whole time and it, and you're a terrible creep or something like that yep they've got nowhere to go because they feel obligated to stay for the whole dinner and there's yep. a social pressure 
you don't want that either. So you sort of, you know, generally I, I'm big believer, the le- less pressure. Um, oh yeah, definitely. You know, um, easily escape drinks, coffee, good, good ways to go. I, I think drinks set up a better tone because the date needs to be playful. Like, mm. Um, I think the biggest mistake people make on a date is that they treat it like an exchange of information. Mm. Like when you're going to a date, you should be having banter. You yeah, shouldn't be agreed. saying like a date, a, a bad date would be, so tell me about, you know, do you, do you have any siblings? Like <laughs> you don't want to know. Who cares? You, yeah. have, you don't even know them yet. Yeah. You need to know about them. And that's, what do you do for work? Doesn't matter. I, I read a lot of these Tinder Facebook pages and yeah. stuff like that that show bad Tinder dates or like what men say to women that's really inappropriate, that sort of stuff. And I always think like the women sometimes, they don't want to meet a guy until they know him a little bit. But what do they actually mean by know him? Because they don't need to know whether he has a brother in who lives in um, Dingo Whoop Whoop. They don't need to know about his parents or anything like that. All they need to know, first of all, is they need to feel comfortable enough that this person is going to be fun and safe. Yeah, I mean that's all, that's all they're looking for. If you can if you can somehow impart that you're fun and safe enough to to spend time with, then you can go to the next level. That's all it is. Yeah, I I um I try like if I'm you know if I start talking to someone with a dating app, I'll try to meet them within forty eight hours. Yeah, I think if if that's like the sweet spot. If you, if it's left too long after that, the momentum dies down. You can be texting for a week. Um, and you know, like the week, you know, like I could text someone for a week and still meet them, but the chances of that going well is like way, way, way lower than if you just meet someone within two days. Yeah. And, um, you know, if it goes well, great, but you know, if it doesn't, then you've kind of wasted a week of, of texting that you could have been talking to, you know, four other people. Mm. Um, but yeah, when you get on the date, it, it's not about, you know, having a play, like, yeah, have a nice pleasant conversation, but you should be dressing it up with, um, you know, there should be a lot of flirting in there. There should be like, you know, a bit of innuendo. You want it, mm. you need the conversation to not be the kind of conversation you could have with a colleague. It needs to be a conversation that, you know, sets up the frame of the con, like of the relationship. Yeah. With to be someone that you could potentially be intimate with or, or share something more, more deeply than a friend with. So well said. Uh, that's, that's the important thing that you need to establish. Mm. And so, um, you know, like I, for me, like I, I do it with really lame, stupid jokes or, you know, like if they say, oh, it's so hard for me to think of something like, well, not yet it's not, but you know, give it time. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll say stupid things like that. And they're like, oh, you're, you know, that's cheeky. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm only stupid. But the thing is you've got to, you've got to sort of weave that into conversation, but not too much. Cause yeah. if you do too, like the, the goal is to be funny, not to be sexy. Like yeah. you, you, you're not trying to steer the conversation towards like, oh, you know, how many guys you've been with or like, what's your favorite position? Like those are not conversational things to have on a date. Mm. Um, frankly, it, it doesn't matter yet. Like you, you, you're, you're not, I'm to be honest for me, I'm not even sure if I want to sleep with them yet. I'm like, it's, it's a two way street yeah. and it should be about creating the rapport, creating a, a banter and seeing what kind of things you can you can bounce with and what kind of things you can't. Now, when you when you set up a joke like that, uh, you do the joke and then you move on and you, you go back to conversation, you start talking about things again. But the things you should be talking about shouldn't be about family. It should be things like, you know, where have you always wanted to go and why? 
And like, or, you know, like if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And then if they say something lame like flying, you know, give them hell for that. Like, what are you talking about flying? Like, mm. you go up there, you're going to get wind in your hair. You're going to have like, you know, you're going to have to wear goggles because, the you know, you could get, could get wet with the rain. Um, so you, you, you give them shit like, you know, if, if they say, oh, I've got two cats, you don't say, oh, I love cats. You say, oh, fuck, oh, I hate cats. You know, yeah, they're where they meow and piss everywhere. Yeah, and they taste terrible, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. It's great. Um, and and I, I, I 100%, 100% agree. And and just for the listeners too, I, I think it's important to say, um, Jake, when he's just saying it to me now, it sounds, it sounds a bit rambly and stuff. But I've actually, Jake, I've heard you flirt. And you are, you're a master, masterful flirter in terms of, fun and uh and just like making people feel at ease and stuff like that i just where every time i see it i'm like wow no no wonder you've just gotten so good at uh, so good at it and back in the days when i was dating we didn't have to deal with um uh, women just weren't seeing as many uh, and and guys too we weren't seeing as many people as yeah. people see nowadays, like the way that Tinder works is it encourages you to see multiple people at the same time because you're flicking, you're flicking left to right. And sometimes you have multiple matches, uh, you know, very quickly. And then you're having to deal with multiple conversations yeah. that are essentially the same cadence. The bigger, the biggest problem I think mm. with, with it is that, you know, there, there's no shortage of choice, choice. So for me, even at now at the moment, like I open up the Tinder app and I've got like 99 plus you know, potential matches waiting. And these are people that have swiped on me. I just have to go yes or no and decide if I want to swipe or not. But um, the big problem is that you, if you have too many matches at any time, then your attention is divided by 10 ways and you'll have really, really shallow conversations with all 10 of them. They'd be like, hi, 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 how are you going? How are you going? How are you going? That's good. That's good. And then, you know, you'd text, you'd be talking to one and, it's, and they'll be like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to Melbourne. And you're like, oh yeah, up to see your sister. And they're like, I don't have a sister. Who else are you talking to? Yeah. And so it becomes this thing. And so I I try to limit it to two, maybe three people at any time. And I don't swipe on the others because um, if you if you match with someone and then you have them sitting there and you're not talking to them for like four weeks and then you finally decide to say hi, that sends the wrong kind of message as yeah. well. It's yeah. like, why is it taking it so long to message me? So the thing you want to do is not swipe. Um, you want to go and you want to talk to people and then you only want to swipe until you've got about three matches and then just don't swipe anymore and just talk to those small handful of people, um, make up your mind about them. And then if it's not going to work out, unmatch them, go back, swipe on a few more, get a few more matches and um, deal it in like little droves at a time. Just going back to some, uh, some, some dating stuff as well from, from my days. Here's some, some more, um, Tom dating advice, all right? Yeah. Uh, if you do end up doing a date at a at a food place, yeah. don't go to a food place that you would regularly go to. Go to a place where hopefully you both haven't been. So you choose one suburb away that, you know, it's something different because that way you can experience things together and you sort of, it can be a bit more, more of a fun exploration thing. If yep. one of you has a bit more leg up than the other one on on you know what's good and sometimes you know it could sometimes that can be fun too. But you sort of I I generally you don't want to go to a regular place, a place that you've taken other people generally yep. as well. Keep it fresh. Yeah, you know. 
What, what about going to an Italian place and ordering an Italian? Would you recommend that or would you say, no, nah, don't do that? I think you can get away with anything if you're really good looking. <laughs> and yeah. if you're not really good looking, um, just just go for funny and confident, you yeah. know. That's that's the other thing is like I just think good looking people, are, you know. That's the thing. When I was when I was younger, um, I used to work at a at this shop that had an ATM up the back. Mm. I don't know if I ever told you this, no. but um, part of the job would be to like you know people would you know take out money and then discard the receipt and whatever. And part of the job would be when that's over for there'd be you know bits of paper on the floor and stuff, and you'd go over and you'd pick them up and stuff. I'd always check the balances on the slips. And if there was one with like 100K plus, I'd put it in my wallet. And then next time I met someone, I'm like, oh, let me give you my number. Hold on. I've got some scrap paper here somewhere. I'd pull that out right on the back and then give them that. And um, that was, I don't know, it was just a stupid little thing, but I'm like, yeah, this is going to work. <laughs> um, but, but these days, I'd never do that. No. You don't give out your number anymore. Um, you don't even talk to, talk to people. I don't even, I don't even like that idea. Like, I don't think you want to present because you basically, if you do stuff like that, yeah. you're actually reducing that. That means that if you meet someone, you actually want to get to know you've started off with some sort of dishonesty, right? And honesty is going to be the key fundamental for, for, um, getting trust between you enough to actually, to start a relationship. So if you're the sort of person who's dating hopefully to meet someone, yeah, you know, possible, like very much an hour age. Can I, can I say that in yeah. my 20s, I wasn't dating to meet someone? Of course, of course. Yeah. But like, I certainly was, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and like I'd pretty, pretty quickly work out whether somebody was, um, whether somebody was actually girlfriend material or yeah. just a, a, you know, it's just something short. And I usually, I, I was, I was pretty honest too. I just tell them. I'd be like, like, just so you know, there's no no long term thing happening here. But if you if you want to spend a bit of time with me, have a bit of fun, I'm, I'm totally up for it. Like, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. I just level with them, and I always find that just being honest about who you are was always the best policy. And, yeah. You know, hopefully nobody. If anyone seems like they're catching feelings or something like that, then you can shut it down. But uh, yeah, that's how I that's how I handled it. I do think honesty always. Always honesty, even when you're being playful and stuff like that, just keep a keep some realization. Like I'm a bit of a dork and stuff like that. Yeah, I try not to totally. hide hide that in um, my interactions with people. Like I try not pr- to present myself as super cool or anything like that. Yeah, be a dork. I'm I'm always a dork when I'm hanging out with my son. Like I try and do real kid fun things with him. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that brings down a lot of barriers. You know. I, I tend to do a bit of both. And so like um I I took I took my mum to the beach yesterday. Yeah. And um like we went for a walk along the beach and it was like nice to get her out of the house and do something nice and she's like, Oh look, they've got a shower there for when you're done. I'm like, Yeah, no, they've got a little foot washer there too. And um, she's like, oh, that'll be handy. And I'm like, yeah. So we went for the beach walk and, you know, took off my shoes and stuff. And when it was time to come back, it's like, oh, better rinse off the feet. I'm like, okay. And there's two buttons there, one for the shower and one for the the foot bit. And they're vertical. So it's like, okay, well, I'm guessing the top one is for the top shower and the bottom button's for the foot bit. And so I'm like, let's see. And I push the bottom one. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the foot one. Great. And so I did did that. And then... um, my my mum went to do it. She's like, "Now, which is it? Is it the is it the bottom button?" I'm like, "No, it's the top one." <laughs> but 
but she knew it was the bottom one. Like, you know, she, she'd push the button and then I said, oh, no, 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 it's the top one. You know, like just a stupid, playful joke. Like it's, it's not true, but it's, uh, you do, you do that kind of stuff on dates. Totally. Totally. Uh, but that's, that's not lying about who you are. No. See, I think sh- pretending you have more money than you have. While that may work in some circumstances, I wouldn't pretend like so. Just, just listen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, while that may work is a, a way of sort of peacocking to certain girls, I don't think it's a good establisher for for a relationship. I think it's it's just dishonest. No, no. Either way, you want to. Um, you can make very similar jokes by um, like so. For instance, if you wrote, "This is a receipt on a piece of paper." I have a million dollars in my bank account and then wrote their number on the front. That's that's even funnier. But um, do you know what I mean? Like you can have the same sort of experience without any sort of I've tried to manipulate you energy. You have to be real careful with that. With Oh, man, there's so much stuff from, from you know, our years of, of actually trying to manipulate the other sex into, into – you have to be so careful with that. I don't know. I didn't really see it as – I don't really think that's manipulation. Uh, especially oh, no, because, it, especially because, um, I think if it, if it ever came up, you know, in conversation, it'd be like, what? Oh, that bit of paper. No, that was just a bit of scrap paper. Like I said, I, oh, you thought that was my, you know, like I, I'd do it like that. Like, and say, oh no, no, that wasn't, uh, I'm with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But l- let me just reframe it. Let's say the girl that you like that you met that way. Yeah. One day sees you collecting hundred K um, receipts from an ATM. What, what do you think she thinks and feels? Mm. And that's when you see that she sees it as dishonesty, regardless of the way that you want to present it. She could see that and feel manipulated. Yeah. Was it worth it? Could you, like, there. If you if you manipulate or you break the trust of somebody who you actually want a relationship with, it can change the entire course of your life because you never. Yeah, but like I said, I wouldn't be giving it to people I was looking for a relationship. But you with. don't know. That's at the start. You don't know, and I honestly I believe that because there are certainly been girls that I just spent a bit of time with, and yeah. and I was like, wow, this is actually there seems to actually be some real chemistry here, and I didn't expect it at the start. Yeah, always I think. I think uh, I think being fun and stuff is great. Yeah, but just you have to be careful. I guess you're right. That, yeah, it's not about whether it is manipulation. Just be careful with stuff that can be perceived as as mani- being. I, I yeah. I guess I guess I think about it more from a from a joke kind of like I I think of that as a joke. I don't think of it as a as a tactic. I don't know. And I guess you're... I guess you're right in that. Um, you know, it could. You yeah. cer- you certainly would need some IQ to realize. Hey. Uh, look, look, no, I, I honestly, I look at that situation and I think it can only go bad for you because yeah. on one area they're, they're too dumb to see it for what it is and they'll take it as if it's real. And on the other one, they'll know what it is and think, okay, this person either has lots of money and wants me to know it yeah. or they've, they've sat next to an ATM looking for receipts in order to do this particular thing, Yeah, both of which creep, are creepy. Yeah. So they haven't worked out well for you. And to be honest, it could make the girl feel unsafe. And remember, that's our goal, safe and uh, and funny. So mm. it has to have an air of safety around it too, I think. I just think that 
especially women nowadays, they're they're scared of being hurt. Yeah, as they should. Mistreat. Yeah, I think so too. It's not a safe world out there. Oh, not for us either, you know. No. No, I certainly don't walk through the park at night. That's the thing. I, I, I often, um, going into that, I often, you know, certainly have had the people think that because we're guys that we are sometimes not a victim of guy violence as well. And that's, uh, you know, if you know how that feels, then it's really easy to to level with the um, the girl who's likely to, you know, clench her keys in her hand for her walk home and understand what she's going through. Mm. Yeah, I I do think if I was if I was dating right now, I'd be very careful with um, making them feel safe and uh, hopefully, you know, re-inspiring some some view of men, you know, in some way. And I think, oh, man, I wasn't a great great youngster either. I was a you know, I was your typical one. I think I treated most people with respect, but I, I still I look back and cringe at some of the things I said and done. I don't know. I just hope. I hope it's going to be all right for the next generation. I've got a little boy now. I remember after school, like I, I went to a school with a um, reputation for uh, not like. Well, I guess back back. This is the early two thousands, mm. and uh, you know it was an all boys school, and it had a reputation for all the all the boys there being gay and stuff. <laughs> and uh, you know, um, I'd have to change. Buses at Eastlands, yeah. And after hours at Eastlands, it could be quite a rough place. Um, and so, if I wore my uniform, I it was like I was drawing attention to myself. And I got I got punched in the back of the head one day. Uh, and like, yeah. holy fuck! And um, yeah. So after that, I just you know I'd take off my blazer and my uh, tie and I'd, I'd stop work taking a school bag. I'd, I'd just start taking like a rip curl bag. Mm. And, um, every day after school, I'd like, I wouldn't change, but I'd just put it like, take off my tie and my blazer, put them in my bag and then just have like the white shirt and gray trousers. So you blend in like any other school kid. And, um, yeah, then I was fine. Like I never had any issues after that, hmm. but yeah, I, I, I had, um, I had everything from like, uh, people just calling out through to like I had I had a girl like a 20 year old something girl spit on me once um, <laughs> yeah right. yeah when I was like 13 uh. and uh yeah so I, I just stopped like it, it was just you know the reputation at school um which you know totally undeserved like it was the most homophobic environment I've ever <laughs> been in um and yeah it, it was it was not it was not nice to be a, a teenage boy like after hours if you're wearing you know a uniform like that and so you just have to be really really careful. Um, I remember one time I had to run into a bar, and like they said, "Oh, you can't be in here." And I'm like, "Oh, look, I'm sorry. I've just got a, I've got a. I'm being followed by these guys. I, I need to wait until it's safe." And they the the guy behind the bar actually like escorted me home uh, so that I wouldn't get get chased by these like. Clarence kids. Mm. Yeah. I've got some rather dark stories. I don't know how, how you're willing to – I won't tell my my ones. I'll save those for another time. But um, right. I'm from Adelaide. Um, I've been held up once, um, which was an Aboriginal man with a knife, and I could barely understand what he said. He was so 
out of it. Yeah. He just pointed a knife at me. I emptied my wallet and that, that was it. And back in those days, I probably had no money. It was probably like $10 or something. Yeah. You know, enough for a bus trip. Um, I had two mates who were sexually assaulted in Adelaide too. And uh, both of them were pretty bad. One was in a public toilet and one was in a, um, uh, one was in a park. <laughs> you know, like, so I, yeah, I'm very much, uh, I'm, you know, considering what I've been through and what I, I look, look at that, what those guys have with been through. We often don't talk about guys getting, um, abused or beaten up and stuff like that. And, you know, certainly not in the same way that we talk about, um, yeah, female sexual assault and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I had, I had guy friends, you know, who just, uh, they got drunk in the wrong place and they got hurt. That's sort of how it usually went. Adelaide's pretty dangerous and um, in those in those days it was. And uh, you sort of can't really – sometimes they the, – actually every time I think it caught us by surprise. You know, usually getting drunk at somebody's house and then you're walking home through the city and then something happens and you're so drunk that uh, you don't even know where the other person went, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, in my cases, apart from a little bit of domestic violence where I've had plates thrown at me and stuff by by, uh, by my partners or whatever, I think um, all of the rest of the violence has always happened to me. It's always been guys on guys. It's always, you know, um, guys hitting guys and usually alcohol related to either on my part or theirs. So yeah, it's a funny little world we live in. I know, and I, I've had friends that have uh, been victims of domestic abuse of mm. like, you know, it could even just be like, you know, smack on the back of the head in public because they're, you know, how, how dare you like think a stupid thing and, uh, you know, really toxic relationships all the way through to like accused, you know, like he bashed me and then, uh, but that it never happened, but they've, they've said it has. Oh yeah. I, Oh, there was one accusation, one that really rocked me where my, um, a good mate of mine, his, his, uh, very manipulative partner said that he was sexually abusing his daughter who he had part-time custody of mm. in order to get, to remove his custody altogether. And it worked and mm. he didn't get to see his girl for years. And, uh, like, I don't believe that with him. I, I mean, I, I always, you never know. Shoot, you know what we we could probably no we might won't talk about that one about the I was going to say the the murder of our friend of in the band oh yeah um, that's one we don't talk about a lot but uh, still stays with me to this day that um, we had a should we talk about that yeah yeah sure I mean I think I think it's important to talk about for two reasons one is that I don't think you ever really know people you can make assumptions about character and stuff this guy. Uh, so this uh, girl who was a singer in our band was murdered by her her boyfriend, who is also a friend of ours, and we spent a bit of time with and liked, and he was nice, friendly person. But yeah, he ended up killing her, and it I it brutally too, and it yeah. really scarred us all. I think, I, and then and then killed himself, and then killed himself. Yeah. And it's funny when you look at a situation like that and you think, well, you know, were we wrong to befriend this person? And a person, I, I don't know if this matters to anyone else, but he was Sudanese as well. 
which is a, a minority culture in Tassie. And for me, I I try not to let stuff like that affect how I view people. But for me, it was a little bit of a wake-up call as well of just being careful with other cultures because you don't know where they're from or you don't know what experience they've come from. Yeah, I, I just... I still don't know what to say about all of that nowadays. I'm like, I'm, I'm sad and, you know, as far as I could tell, they were good people. And and uh, then something like that happens and it makes you question every bit of judgment that you've ever had about somebody. Do you mm. know character? Do you know people? Can you be trustworthy of the people around you? And... You just try, I would say I'm pretty, despite everything that's happened in my life, I'd say I'm pretty unscarred. Like I can go into a conversation and just be nice, not be afraid. But you've seen me um, be afraid of crowds of people and stuff like that. I, I'm genuinely, I, I have an anxiety nowadays around, I, you know, in the old days, you just do it, you know. Do you think it was since COVID though that that changed? No, I, I think I've always been this way. Yeah. I think um, I grew up quite lonely and, um, you know, we didn't do a lot of socialization in my household due to religion and stuff like that. And I think I've always been a bit of a loner and my trust levels of people were always low. Yeah. And now the more people that are around, the, (laughs) you know, the more that that sort of exacerbated it for me and I'd rather not spend time with people I don't trust and, um. Mm. Yeah, if a shop's really busy, I'm the sort of person who just if even if I need something, I'll come back another time. Yeah, and I sometimes I look at that and I go, "That's healthy," and sometimes I look at it and go, "I'm right on the edge of actually being healthy. I might have a a problem with fear here." You know, but it's all it takes. You know, a, a couple of friends dying, and and that's all it takes, and change you forever. See, I I. Uh like London is one of the most multicultural places in the world. Mm. And um, I I can definitely say, you know, from, from like I taught a lot of different kids from a lot of different backgrounds and uh, culture does create big uh, value shifts in, in what people deem important. And so, you know, you can, you can all get along fine. And, um, you know, I don't treat people any differently or really have any prejudices. Mm. Um, but there are certain things to be aware of, um, just in, in terms of like the things that are valued in a culture versus the things that aren't. So like I was teaching music in London, for instance, and mm. I was teaching at a predominantly, uh, a school with a predominantly Muslim population mm-hmm. and the attitude to, towards music is, well, you don't listen to music in Islam. Like it's not a, not really a thing. You listen to religious music, but Western music is not really to listen to. Um, and so I, I had a lot of conversation with parents that, you know, that said, oh no, because at school, you know, it's, you can, you can do that. Um, it's educational. So, you know, like we'll permit that. And it's like, okay, great. But you could see in the kids' eyes, they, they didn't really have any respect or value or care for what we were covering. There was some that really, really liked it. And then there were a lot that, that didn't. And, um, yeah, that like that lack of respect also crossed over to a lack of respect of the equipment, and a lack of respect of 
yeah. you know, other people's learning and stuff. They just didn't care. And I'd never seen anything like that before because in other, in other, you've always got kids that, you know, find their passion in certain areas and some kids that love music, some kids that hate music and for whatever reason, it, it was really, uh, you, you could, you could almost tell what the, you know, the attitude was going to be by looking at the, at the class before, before starting. And, you know, it sounds really prejudicial, but it, it was consistent enough that the pattern was there. And, you know, you, you go in and you just, you know, try to create the most, you know, um, the environment that, that uh, creates uh, the most flourishment of, of the, the course and whatever. I'm mm. butchering my words here. But, um, you know... It, the the level of progress that you got from that was really really low compared to other classes where where the you know the makeup of kids was different yeah yeah <laughs> oh good review good review yeah anyway i don't think i re- reviewed this out out of uh, a few stars but my mate who uh, with the uh doing crowdfunding yeah for his uh course i'm going to give that two stars i reckon it's um Two stars. It's not terrible, but it's certainly lacking. Lacking yeah. something. Yeah. Um, by the way, I have a GoFundMe page right now. Um, so if you'd like to contribute. It's not really to anything. It's just, <sighs> you know, to, uh, to me. <laughs> um, by all means, I'll put the link in the description. Mm. Um. I, I, I would review a shop that I went to up the northwest coast called Reliquaire. Have you been to this place? I have with you. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, Is it still there? I heard it burnt down. It did. It did. But they rebuilt it. Even better? They made it better? Uh, no. No, it's not as good. Well, it's different. It's like more shoppy in that it's a big sort of warehouse that they've decked out. Um, so initially this shop, the thing that was really intriguing about the shop is that it was like a house that had been turned into a shop and every room of the house was like themed on a different style of product. And so they had, you know, one room that was full of like these Venetian dolls and masks and, um, you know, beautiful, intricate carpet and desks and things like that. And then you'd go into like, you know, what would be the, the sitting room and it had like all of this, um, uh, you know, little furniture knick-knacky kind of things for your, um, your, you know, like paperweights. They had things like sundials and they had like pocket sundials and brass things and they had um, a million, uh, what are those called, those uh, spheres that they used to use for mapping the, the moon? Uh, what? Um, a million spheres or something? Amelin spheres? I, I, I don't know them. I think they're Amelin spheres. Um, or like a sextant from a from a ship, uh, you know, things for calculating mm. distance and stuff like that. So um, it was full of little knickknacks all through the, the shop and then you'd go into another part and it had board games and puzzles and like, uh, you know, educational toys and um, then you'd go into another part and it would have like all Doctor Who stuff and they'd like have the Doctor Who theme playing and like it was all crazy and 
um, that have like a Star Wars room and then they had a dinosaur space with like, you know, actual little fossils in the sand pit that you could get in and dig out. It's nerd heaven. And it was a really, really cool shop. Mm-hmm. Um, it burnt down and they rebuilt it in a like a warehouse kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's still got its all, all its themed areas, um, but it, it doesn't have the house like aesthetic it's more shop-like. It was nearly like a haunted house almost. A little like bit. In its styling. It was so old and- Victorian. Yeah. Um, narrow hallways and sort of old dolls and yeah. stuff like that in it. It was, um, yeah, it was pretty unique back then. I haven't been to the new one, no. They've still got things like that. Like they've got like a little uh, door that you push and it takes you into like the haunted space and they've got like all like, a, you know, Freddy Krueger life-size cut out and- um, you know, cobwebs and stuff all around and spiders and everything. Um, it's really cool and it's definitely like a tourist attraction. You go there, they they have a coffee shop up the back of it now so you can go in and have a coffee and they, like, make some pretty cool cake and stuff in there. Um, but it's, it's like the one shop that you just have to go to when you go to the northwest coast. <laughs> yeah, and I would give it a full five stars. Five stars. Just to support the economy and say, you know what, the things that this shop does for the Northwest Coast is is like I don't think there's anything else like it. I don't. I've never been to another shop like it in the world. I think I think you're right to support local business to stuff too. I I think uh, if you're going to give a lot of money to chains and stuff like that, there's not a person behind it. Mm. A place like Reliquware is likely going to be run by a much smaller probably a mum and pop or some, you know, a, a true Tasmanian's probably somewhere in the chain there. And you want to you want to support those places. You want to yeah. pay an extra $20. You want to buy the coffee and the everything else from them. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. I love good breakfast places too. So I always think, you know, if, I ever, if I'm ever going through town, I'm like, oh, I'm doing it. For, not this, this isn't just for me. This is for the, uh, the owner-operator yeah. out there. <laughs> just for the record, I will always give an extra star to a place that does good French toast. Mm, French toast. We we might have to uh, do some investigation around Tassie about where the best French toast is. At the moment, for me, it's uh, Jean Pascal in Newtown. They do a really good French toast. All right. Well, I'll go there with you. Yeah. We can do a French toast. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else this week? Let me think. Is there anything else that we've experienced that we could share? Uh, anything you want to review? Anything you want to put some numbers behind? Tell people to do? Tell people to experience and see out there? Hmm. Um, I would say just play Mist and <laughs> play Mist. <laughs> tell me how dumb I am. No, nobody's going to play Mist. Even if you recommended that and we had like 2 million user, uh, listeners, no, none of them. Uh, maybe one would be playing Mist. I, I wonder how many people that have played Mist have been able to finish it. I would imagine, um, you know, if you if it's on PlayStation, we'd be able to see the trophy yeah. uh, percentages and stuff. Yeah. Oh, or Steam. We could go on Steam and look at Steam achievements for whoever's yeah. be- beat the first part or something. It's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Uh, well, why don't we wrap this up? All right. You happy with that? Yep. Call this an episode? It's a wrap. It's a wrap. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Pump House, and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye.